Es un asunto en el que la sociedad civil siempre ha jugado un papel fundamental. La sociedad civil. Civil society. The Grassroots View, an EESC podcast. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Grassroots View from the European Economic and Social Committee, the EESC. I'm Paul Anderson. Now close your eyes, stretch your mind, and imagine what's been spoken about here. There's so much hype around around it all. On the one hand, economic growth, unlocking innovation, potential new efficiencies and things we don't even know about yet, you know, answers to questions that we've not even posed. Um, and on the other side, human rights frameworks that just seems like it's an impediment to all of that good. We need to just totally reframe that and really think about enabling true innovation based on a foundation of trust. Here are some hints. Google, TikTok, GDPR, artificial intelligence. Well done if you guessed all things digital, and in particular digital transformation. As expert on technology and human rights, Tanya O'Carroll just mentioned there, that was her voice you heard, we're on the cusp of something revolutionary. So big, it's one of the European Union's main priorities for the Commission presidency of Ursula von der Leyen. Something which has the power to transform our industries, our societies, our lives, or indeed to rubbish all of that in a money-driven quest by big tech for ever larger amounts of our data and ever greater control over our natural preferences and choices. This is the focus of our podcast today, a digital Europe between regulation and innovation. As well as Tanya, we're joined by members from all three of the EESC's groups representing employers, workers and civil society organisations. Respectively, they are Gonzalo Lobo Xavier, EESC Employers Group member representing the Portuguese Business Confederation, Franca Salis Madinier, EESC Vice President of the Workers Group and of the Digital Transition and Single Market Observatory, Giuseppe Guerini. EESC Civil Society Group member and President of the European Confederation of Industrial and Service Cooperatives. We're joined also by the Brussels-based independent journalist specialising in technology, politics and digital legislation, Jennifer Baker. A very warm welcome to you all. Tanya, you've kicked us off there very nicely. Let's develop the theme. What are some of the advances in digital transformation And what are the things that keep you awake at night? So I think what we've got is a series of trends in digital transformation that are all kind of converging. Um, one of them is the sort of expansion of through the Internet of Things and from the, through the fact that every, everything now can be a sensor. When you're driving a car and the company that's manufactured that car is no longer only thinking about how do they build a car that is going to be able to get you from A to B and be safe for you to drive. But they're also now thinking about how do they extract as much data as possible from you so that they can unlock all of the potential innovation that may come from, let's say, car location data. Then you suddenly find yourself in a different world. And there are just huge consequences as it moves into many other industries and sectors that there are just a lot of concerns from a privacy perspective and from a sort of individual rights perspective. But then you add in other trends like the expansion of machine learning and AI that can unlock greater insights from all of that data that, that has, than have, has ever been possible before. Jennifer Baker, what's your take on the state of digital transformation so far? 
access to high speed internet is still an issue in some sort of outlaying regions of the EU. And that was something I think that during the pandemic was brought home to a lot of people as everyone tried to move towards online schooling and online working. I think there's been a lot of work done in the recent years as a cause of the pandemic to actually build up a bit of resilience in those networks for individuals to use them. It's about bringing the digital tools into the classroom and getting younger kids very familiar with using them and also getting them to understand the nature and the way these tools are set up so that they can kind of interrogate them, interrogate the technologies in a knowledgeable way as they grow up and not be overly reliant on tools designed by someone else. So there is a lot of work still to be done and 2030 is really not that far away when you think about digital terms and terms of getting the right regulation frameworks, interoperability standards and so on in place. This reference to 2030 is relevant as this is the deadline the EU has set for itself for the first phase of Europe's digital transformation. Gonzalo Lobo Javier, your area at the EESC is the employers group. What would you pick out as the standout advance or change? Digitalization of our communication systems, of our services, it's uh, as, as an importance, of course, uh, for our European way of life. But I think every, every member state is worried about the rural areas, for example, or areas that are not so developed. I think the digitalization would be one of the key answers to invest in rural areas and to create a good atmosphere to attract people to visit, to live, to work in rural areas under this new idea of teleworking and under this new idea of uh, go back to reality, go back to roots. And so the digitalization is therefore, I would simply say, as a, as a, a tool to enable investment, to enable people to live in rural areas to create new businesses without losing the centrality of the of a big city or without losing the centrality of a business and the connectivity. I live in Portugal, which is a, a lovely country, but it's a little bit unbalanced between the interior, the rural areas in the interior of the country and the coast side. The rural areas are getting a little bit depressed in the sense that the aging of the people, the aging of the population, the fact that uh, the rural areas are more oriented uh, to agriculture and agriculture today means modernity, means digitalization, means technology. So it's quite important uh, for my country to invest in infrastructure that allow people to live with quality, invest with uh, quality and smart activities that can create and motivate the investment in these areas in order to change a little bit this uh, unbalanced uh, process. So that's one aspect. But if you look at performance of our tech sector, the training, the level of education, resources and opportunities at its disposal, it seems strange, doesn't it, that there isn't a company to compete with any of the Silicon Valley giants. Why is that? Oh, well, that's a million euro question, I would say. And I don't think I have the correct answer, but I can say some tips about it. First, it's a matter of culture. I think we are very good with innovation. 
we, we have in tremendous universities, uh, we have uh, tremendous uh, technological centers, but we don't have the same ability as other geographical regions in the world to profit from this kind of uh, innovation. Uh, we cannot, we have not the ability to transform innovation into business. And it's a mixture between the ability, the culture, and the leverage of investment. The leverage of uh, financial investment is, uh, is, a, it is a decision-making thing that uh, Europe is, is trying to address. Uh, but the ability to transform innovation in profitable business is something that needs to be taught in the universities and in, back in school. Franca Salis Madinier, EESC Vice President of the Workers' Group, what's your reasoning of the same question? After all, this failure is also a failure, is it not, to provide the next generation jobs? I think that today, with the war in Ukraine, more than ever, we have issues of digital sovereignty and therefore Europe must be independent and autonomous in terms of technologies. Why am I saying that? Because today it is the players outside of Europe who are shaping the digital future to a certain extent. And we use these non-European applications in two it also has to do with issues with the security of our data, whether private or public. Players like the United States, China, Russia and Israel are making digital technology not only a modern development and an economic tool, but a tool of domination. And that we can also see with Russia as I said, in the tragic circumstances that the attack in Ukraine represent. It is important that Europe also distinguishes itself through, for example, technologies such as dependable artificial intelligence and an artificial intelligence that cannot do just anything, but which must comply with the law and fundamental values of Europe. Europe must also have a stronger industry which can impose its models. I think that is first and foremost a question of the importance of the investment. The Grassroots View, an EESC podcast. Giuseppe Guarini, EESC Civil Society Group member, how do you see the question, working as you do with civil society and perhaps with an eye on questions beyond simply competing globally? I think we are in a period of very important transition and I think we are at a good level in general. But there are two things that are important in order for Europe to maintain a high level of competitiveness and also its ability to include all of its population in the process of change. The first thing is to grow and support companies to improve their ability to be part of the network. It's above and beyond the digital economy, and that's what we are seeking too large European companies in the digital sector. Because it's a sector where the strongest and biggest companies are in the United States or in Asia. 
ou de l'Asie. Et à propos du, de l'équilibre entre la réglementation et l'innovation... As far as the balance between regulation and innovation is concerned, I think that's a very difficult thing to strike. But for sure, it's very important. And my opinion is that the European Union has acted well in recent years. C'est bien intervenu dans les dernières années, je pense à le, tout le, 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 le paquet de... I'm thinking of the whole package of digital regulations in Europe. I'm thinking of data regulations, regulation of the digital services market on digital market. Tanya O'Carroll, I guess for you also, this is at the heart of things right now, an effective legal framework designed by Europe for Europe but also for application beyond its borders. This is where, you know, you, the European Commission, um, the EU institutions have a huge role to play as well as, as national governments because part of it is putting the guardrails in place. We cannot leave something as critical and important to the future of digital democracy, to the future of Europeans' di digital economies, to the future of human rights in the digital age in the hands of commercial actors. If you think about it from a public interest perspective, if you could unlock the insights using AI from a lot of health data in order to really truly try and solve a lot of challenges um, around disease, around identification of illness, around new types of medication and therapies and treatment, you know, all of that is there's so much public interest good there. But when it happens without the right safeguards in place, without the kind of right governance of all of that data, and when there's so many commercial players involved, that's when we start having you know, a lot of concerns about the convergence of these trends. We're having to wrap this up now for time, and yet we're only just scratching the surface. Let me ask each of you for a short wish list of actions. Franca Salis Madinier, you go first. We must also regulate these telework schemes. I think it can go in the right direction. And on the other hand, I think everything is about the impact of a technology like artificial intelligence on working conditions, because today we can be controlled by machines. Artificial intelligence can also change a lot of professions in a very important way, such as translators, interpreters, but also journalists, salespeople, business customer advisors. So all of this today must be the subject of a social dialogue or of professional dialogue in the services where these technologies are introduced. Thank you for that. Gonzalo Lobo-Javier? As a consultative body, um, our role is to call the attention and to draw the attention uh, of the European Parliament and the Commission for these uh, needs and for the reality. Sometimes we have uh, a lot of uh, politicians that uh, make decisions without knowing uh, the reality of the member states. And this is something that uh, the European Economic and Social Committee has the ability to change, to give some reality and a sense of justice in the Brussels uh, bubble, but also among uh, a member states. I'm not saying, I'm not accusing the politicians of being uh, outside the reality. Organizations that like um, businessmen, NGOs, trade unions have this ability to interact in a daily basis with the population and to know what are the, exactly their fears and their thoughts about 
about several dossiers. I can give you a lot of examples in Romania, in Italy, in Bulgaria, in Germany, in France, you name it, of members that are engaged with their community and know the reality and know the way people are addressing the challenges and the problems that they have regarding digitalization, for example. And Jennifer Baker, what are your ideas? The European Commission has gone for a risk-based approach. And I think that is a very sensible approach because the risk of harm is where we should be really concentrating our efforts. We also have to remember parts of the community who maybe don't have access to digital tools, aren't as familiar with using them, and they can't be allowed to become second-tier citizens and be left behind in the drive to digitization. So I think it's worth putting a little note of caution there. Things like the European health space is something that's been talked about a lot, having our health files that are transferable, that we have access to. The fantastic ideas, but again, different countries have hit upon different technological solutions to do that because privacy and security are such high concern in these sorts of areas, because that is what we call under the GDPR highly sensitive personal data that really has to be very well protected and you can't just allow anyone access to it. So things like two-tier authentication and anonymization when we're transferring across platforms are all very important there. Thank you, Jennifer. And now you, Tanya O'Carroll. I personally think there's one very clear thing that has to happen in the next few years, which is that we actually need a ban on surveillance advertising, which was something that was proposed during the last negotiations for the Digital Services Act by a large number of MEPs. If you think about it, the idea that if I could gather as much data about you as possible, know everywhere you go, everything you've ever purchased, what you like online, what you look at, what you click on, your location at any particular moment. If I can build this incredibly detailed and intrusive profile of you, then I can know you better in order to target ads at you. That concept has obviously defined the last 20 years of how the internet has grown up. It's defined the business models that now other industries are vying for. And I think if we were to change that by basically saying, look, there is a limit on what you can do. You avoid the kind of mass discrimination where people are excluded from certain things or targeted for certain things. And last but not least, Giuseppe Guarini. Nous avons we have a very strong relationship with the population, with our members, and we can play a role in teaching, training and supporting in the maintenance of trust. We have civil society associations, volunteers, cooperatives that are engaged in this. So we must not be afraid, but we must be open where it is a question of innovation. So we have an important role. It's a bit like the introduction of new technologies in the history of humanity. It could be the writing machine, it could be the steam engine, it could be electricity. We had to learn new ways of living. And it's the same thing here. Sometimes we stay focused on old education methods, but we don't do digital education. Some powerful thoughts there on ways forward in this brave new world. Our thanks to you all from the EESC, Franca Salis Madinier, Giuseppe Guarini, and Gonzalo Lobo Javier, and independent experts Jennifer Baker and Tanya O'Carroll. Many thanks to you too for tuning in. 
We hope, from the grassroots view, that as you flip through your handheld devices and computers, you find some stimulating ideas to take away and mull over. Until the next episode, from me, Paul Anderson, and the rest of the EESC podcast team, goodbye. <laughs>